I am reluctant sometimes to begin the, a message the way I'm going to begin this one. As you know, we are studying metaphors for the church, how the church is looked upon in the Bible. We started last two weeks ago the church as a branch, means that the church gets its life from somewhere else, not from itself. And the story goes that a pauper died, and there was nobody to be at his graveside. So the funeral director had a friend who was an extremely gifted violinist. And he asked if he would play at this fellow's graveside. And he agreed to do it. So he was well prepared and was on his way to the cemetery and he got lost. And he didn't know where to find the place until he asked for directions and he, def- he fi- finally got there. When he got to the graveside, he noticed that they were covering the, the hole with sod and he felt so badly, badly that he had missed being there for it. And so he asked the people who were there covering the hole if if he could still play. And so they said, go ahead. So he started to play a rendition of Amazing Grace. It It was beautiful. It was something wonderful to hear. And the fellows started to cry around the grave. And then he started to cry. So he was finished. And he was finished. He was putting his violin away. And he said, Wow, that was touching. And as he was walking by the fellows covering the grave, he heard one of them said, this was really unique. I've been burying sewer systems for a number of years and I've never seen anything like this. What has that to do with the message? Everything. Because he was doing something he thought he was doing but he really wasn't doing what he was called to do. He was sincere in what he was doing, but it still wasn't meeting what was needed to be done. And I want to suggest to you that in the same way, we as the church, as as, as what, what God says about us, sometimes we are playing at the wrong, wrong graveside. There are times when we find ourselves exhausted from what we're doing, and yet it doesn't appear to be arriving at any kind of productive conclusions. And like that man who was playing, we play and we keep playing and we keep playing. And we wonder why. Sometimes in the metaphors that are used, we understand something of this. And the metaphor that is used for the church this morning, 
from 1 Corinthians is the metaphor of a body. I was, earlier this morning, I was telling my son, um, who's visiting with us, telling him about um, a certain television. You may have been watching it, so you will know who it is if, when I say what, what it, uh, it was. And he was, he was, I don't know why he felt it necessary. But he wanted to, to illustrate something about the church and its ministry. And the best illustration he could use was to bring a casket into the service. I sat there and I thought, it, what an experience it must be to be sitting in an audience at a worship service and seeing a casket there. And then he was going to show his illustration by lifting the lid in the service. And I thought, oh, I have enough of this. I, I don't. I, I, want, I, want, I want to see something else. I want to have something that will give me a sense of, of there's hope and not something that speaks of death. Well, sometimes illustrations can be taken too far. But we want to ask ourselves this morning, where did this concept of the church as a body comes from? Almost everything we do today, it seems to me that we can find some place in the culture from which we get what we are taking into the church. And it is interesting when we look at what Jesus said, first of all, to his disciples, I am the vine and you are the branches. Now St. Paul, by inspiration of the Spirit, says something else. But before we go to our text, I would like to call your attention, first of all, if you turn in your Bibles, to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Because I want to show you, my friends, that the concept is not, even though we are body people, that the concept of the church as a body is not the concept of the church or a man. Not Peter, not James, not John, or any of the apostles. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 18 to 23, and I certainly will not be doing an exposition of that because we'd never get out of here today. Look at verse 22. Ephesians 1. And he put, this is speaking of God, which is seen from verse 17. God is the one who is the he, the pronoun he. He put all things in subjection under his feet, that is, Christ's feet. We shall see how this is done. And gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body. And gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body. Let me take a moment. The concept of the church as a body is a revelation, not a discovery. Look at verse 17 of Ephesians 1. Paul is praying for the church. And he's saying that I'm praying that your eyes might be open that you might be able to see, to understand, to be enlightened, to have your heart exposed to divine truth. And then he goes on to say, this is how it was revealed. And we'll get to that in a minute. But what I want you to see just for a moment is that God is the one who is acting. God is the one who is describing what the church is like. 
Ephesians 3 and 3 says the same thing. That by revelation there was made known to him the mystery of the church. So that everything about what we call the church that is here described as a body is a mystery. It's a mystery. It's a wonder. It is something unique that this world doesn't know anything about. There should be a, a, a sense in this world that when they see you moving to a location, that they will see something that they can never see any other place on the face of the earth because it did not originate with the imagination of some people in a high office or room somewhere and say, what's the best description we can use for the church? Now, if the church is a body, and believe me, friends, and I don't want to labor this, after they were finished with me in the hospital last Sunday, oh, my word, in, in fact, for those of you who have had things done, my body right now is covered all over with sticky stuff. I, I mean, they were just, I didn't even know they had stuff sticking. The body is a wonderful, mysterious machine. And if the body, if the church is a body, and we will see that that body is talking about people. It's not talking about a local church now. A local church is a part of the body. The body is universal. And we'll see that in a minute. But friends, if the church is a body made up of people, it takes divine power for people who are different, people who have different ideas, uh, my son was, I, I don't know if he knew that I was listening as he and his mom, mom were talking this morning on our way here uh, about a situation uh, in Seattle where he's working uh, at UPC. And, and one person wanted to do something. He didn't feel that it was the right thing. He was assigned to go and tell this person uh, about it. And I, I thought, wow. You know, if someone says, the Lord told me to. And somehow you don't feel the same message. How do you go to that person and say, I don't feel that you should be doing this. If the Lord told me. I had a lady in Toronto in my first church. She came to me about, the service started at 7 o'clock in the evening. And she came to me about 6.30 and said, the Lord has told me that he wants me to preach and not you. And I told her, well, he didn't tell me. <laughs> My friends, to have people come together, people who are, as we were reading in our confession, people who are black and white and tall and skinny and rich and poor, to have all those people come together as a unit, that takes the power of God. That's not possible otherwise. Now, how is this power available? This is where we come to verses 18 to 23. See, verses 23 and 24, uh, 22 and 23, are the conclusion of what the power can do. Now, look at what the power can do. Look at the power that is operative in the body, in the church. Let me read it. Uh, by the way, in the Greek, there are no breaking it's one big sentence. 
Just imagine how helpful these things have been to us having chapters and verses. Sometimes they're good, other times they can get in the way. Verse 18, Paul now, understanding the revelation that has been given to him from Ephesians 3 and 3, now begins to understand something of what the church needs to understand themselves. That they will not be just going around hoping that they're at the right grave and play Amazing Grace. So he prays for them. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? The glory of the inheritance in the saints. We have an eternal inheritance in Christ. But Paul says, God also has an inheritance in us. We are not simply beggars telling other beggars where to find bread. We are beggars telling other beggars where we have found bread. Please remember that. So it is not by, by human ingenuity that the church exists and persists. Now he goes on to say, that you might know his inheritance in the saints and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the workings of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him, him at his right hand in heavenly places far above all rules and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet after he raised him from the, 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 the severest enemy that the human being has, death. God triumphed over death in raising Christ from it and he placed him at his right hand far above all authorities. No angel shares what Jesus himself has in himself and has been given by his father. And look what he did. After he put him at his right hand, he, bring, he brought all things in subjection to him. So that Paul in another place says, a day will coming when, is coming when every tongue shall confess Every knee shall bow and they shall say, Jesus is Lord. That day is coming. Now look what he says now. As we wait for that day, he is going to manifest this power which raised Christ from the dead in the body known as the church. The power that raised Christ from the dead is the available spiritual energy energy by which the church operates. Oh, friends, think, that, that means that if death cannot overcome the power of God, no differences that you and I have as the body of Christ can stop the power of God from being operative. It's, it's, it's a power based upon historical facts. Just as it took power to raise Christ from the dead, it takes power to make the church one, even though there are so many of us. 
This, my friends, is the mystery of the church. You know, one of the things that we miss so very much is, is the fact that, that for, for, for many, I find this to be an amazing thing. We spend more time trying to make the church fit the culture than we spend time for the church being the church. I mean, I, 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 again, I will, I will bring an illustration from the world and show you its failure or how it misses the mark. But my friends, I'm not going to bring a casket in here to show it to you. See, because it doesn't take what you see with your naked eyes to give you a concept of who you are. It takes the Spirit bringing spiritual truths to us so that we might understand that even though it happened over 2,000 years ago when Christ was raised from the dead, that power is available at this moment as I speak to you and as you listen to me. That's the power of the that the church operates on. It's not on human energy. It's not on political energy. I was telling someone, one of the big churches in Texas, a few weeks ago, had all the political leaders on the platform on a Sunday morning. Each of them giving a little bit of why. My friends, the church failed that moment. The church failed that moment. If, if I bring someone in here to tell you what party you should vote for, what candidate you should vote for, or whatever else it might be, and you come here for something that only the power of God can provide, then I have failed. Then I have failed. Because what you should hear when you come here, friends, is a message that captivates your imagination, strengthen your heart, encourage your faith, because it has nothing to do with what's in me. It has everything in what he said he has done for us. It's done. He raised Christ from the dead. That's the power that's yours. Well, more can be said. I want to quickly look at how the body is constructed. Now we get back to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 3, 12, and 13, gives us how the body is constructed. <laughs> I, told, I told you two weeks ago that my toilet seat is fixed. And it's still holding. I looked at that instruction. And it says to me, I haven't a clue why I have two pieces left over. So I went back to the source. And my friends, I want to suggest to you that if we are to understand how the church becomes a body, we had better get back to the source we had better get back to the source. Let me give you three things. I want you to see that the body is designed by confession. Verse 3 
of 1 Corinthians 12. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. The confession of the church. This is exactly what Jesus said to Peter. You are the church. You and you and you are the church. But this is the confession of the church. Jesus Christ is the son of the living God. Here we have something similar. Where Peter is saying, where Paul is saying, that the Holy Spirit makes known to us the very Christ of Ephesians 1. The only one that was raised from the dead, crucified, buried, is Jesus Christ. And he was made Lord by his resurrection. So Paul now says, the body is constructed by its confession. No matter where you go, if you go to Costa Rica, if you go to England, if you go to Brazil, if you go to the universal church of God that is localized in those places, you will find one name that distinguishes itself from every other name, and that is the name of Jesus. The Holy Spirit keeps that name central to the body. The body cannot exist as a spiritual body if it doesn't have a spiritual head. And the head of the body is Jesus by God's design. I, I, well, let me leave it that way. Ephesians tells us that the head of the body is Christ. We then who confess Jesus Christ as Lord, become the body. These are the pieces that bring the body together. I'll show you this in another way in a minute. Listen, just listen to this. The whole section of the revelation, that is 1 Corinthians 12, may be summarized now by saying that the church consists of those gathered around the Lordship of Christ, interpreted by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit alone gives the interpretation of the essential Lordship of Christ and the essential Lordship of His being, that He is very God, and also the active Lordship of Christ, the Lordship of His redemption. It is the Spirit of God in the soul of man who brings the conviction that leads to the confession. No one speaking by the Spirit can say Jesus is anything other than He is. Will you allow me a moment? That is why Mormonism is not equivalent to Christianity. Because they do not see Jesus as the living Lord, Son of God. They see Jesus differently. And if they're speaking by the Spirit, they cannot say Jesus is accursed. The Spirit is the one who actually brings us to the place where we can see. I shall never forget the morning, that Good Friday morning, when I received Christ as Savior. 
wrestling with how one man could die for the sins of the whole world. And, and, and I was shown it, and like a light came on. Jesus Christ is Lord. Listen, in the days when the church was in, in its infancy, the biggest problem that the church faced at that time was whether they confessed that Jesus Christ was Lord. And I ask you this morning, is Jesus Christ your Lord? Have you come to trust him? Do you confess him as the Lord of your redemption? Not simply the Lord of your life, the Lord of your redemption. What I needed to rescue my soul from damnation, from hell, was because Jesus Christ redeemed me from it. This is what the text is saying. The construction was by the Spirit that led us to the confession of who Jesus is. But I want you to look at the configuration. See, Paul said, the body is one, but there are many parts to the body. And we'll look at some of this, Lord's willing, next week. The physical body is the creation of God in the same way that the spiritual body is the construction configuration of God. And I was thinking of this. In Genesis 1 and 2, we are told that God put Adam under a deep sleep, took one of his rib, and out of the rib he formed, formed a woman. Again, time will not permit me to go into all that. And God took the woman to Adam. And he presented her to him. And he said, why did you put me to sleep? Did he say that? No. When he saw Eve, he saw something that only God could do. He cannot explain it. He can tell what was done, but he cannot tell how it was done. In the same way, my friends, we become the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit's ministry. We cannot tell how it is done, but we can tell what is done. We confess with our mouths that Jesus Christ is Lord. And in that moment, we shall see in a moment, something happens. Unique. Absolutely apart from anything that any human being can do. In fact, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10 is so critical. It says that when the spiritual body comes together as we meet on the Lord's day, that there are principalities and powers in the other world looking down right now because they can, they can actually perceive spiritual reality. And when the Spirit is doing it, the angels rejoice over it. Ephesians 3.10. We are a unique body, friends. I, I, we were with our Lois's brother last night, and we were talking about a whole lot of things. And, and one of the things we talked about, as Christopher and I and David get together, we have to talk about football. They talk about it, I listen to it. I, am, I, I, know, I know a lot, but I ask a lot of questions. And one of the things, my friends, we noticed that I think it was Thursday night 
when the, um, the ducks, I always have to make sure, I, I always say Eugene and, and, and um, Corvallis because I don't know the difference between the two stuff. So I, but when they would make their play, a curtain would go up. Did you, anyone watch the game seeing that? Along the line. As soon as there was a play to be made, curtains will go up. Three sections. And I thought, I've never seen this before. What? A, and so David said, it was to make sure that no one steals their play. Well, I've never seen that one before. The plays were being made behind a white sheet. Difference. May I borrow that analogy? The whole configuration of the church as a body was done out of the sight of human beings in heaven. And by revelation, God brought it down to us so that now we know why we are one. We know why we are able to exist as a body because that's the way God designed it. We cannot tell how he did it in one sense. But we can tell what he did. Now let me quickly close here with how he did it. This is, this is absolutely amazing. Ephesians, um, um, 1 Corinthians 12, 13. For by one spirit, we are all baptized into one body. I want to be careful here now. Somebody uh, said to someone else, the only reason I use the King James Bible is because if it was good enough for Paul, it's good enough for me. Now, I use the King James Bible, I want you to know. It's right on my desk with all my other Bibles that I study with. But there is an unfortunate, unfortunate thing in this verse. And people argue over this. They, the, the, the King James read, For by one Spirit we were all baptized, making the Spirit the one who baptizes. The Spirit cannot baptize for the Spirit. The body becomes in the Spirit, having been baptized by Jesus. Matthew chapter 3, verse 11. As for me, John baptized you with water. I baptize you in water for repentance. But the one who is coming after me is mightier than I, and he will baptize you. Jesus is the baptizer. It's not by the Spirit, it's in the Spirit. It's in, it's in the, the realm of the Spirit. That is what makes the body of Christ a spiritual body. That is what makes this, the, 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 the church something that communicates with God from the inside out, not from the outside in. Now, I, I want to be careful here now. I don't want to get too technical here. But listen to John 1.33. He whom you see... The Spirit descending, this is John 1.33, and remaining upon him, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. This is one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. In Acts 2.47, 
the Spirit is working greatly. And listen to what it says. God added to their numbers. God is the one who brings us into the Spirit so that the body then begins to operate from the third person of the Trinity who now inhabits the bodies of God's people as His temple so that the Spirit can work. Listen, if I may. CJ and Mary will not be without a guidance because the Spirit resides in them and by and by in God's time He will reveal to them what is His will because they're drinking from the Spirit. You and I are drinking from the Spirit. That is why sometimes, my friends, when we say certain things in the church, and people say, what are you talking about? Uh Uh-huh, shows where you are. Because the Spirit does things that nobody else can do. Only God can raise the dead. And only God can bring a people diverse in background, diverse in education, diverse in, in social standing. And he says, we're one. We're one. Let me close. Great story. Professor of philosophy at the Alliance Church uh, School in uh, Minneapolis. Brilliant, brilliant man. One day went to a fellow in the church who was a spastic a fellow who just trembles when he's talking. His, his employment was to sell old new pa- newspapers for, uh, to make money to feed himself. And, and one day, the professor went to him, having just bought, the professor bought a new Bible, and he went to his friend, and he said to him, Bill, and Bill was his name, would you write your name in my Bible? And he said, Dr. Bob, Dr. Bob, why do you want me to write my name in your Bible? You know, you know people who are, who are more responsible, respectable than I am. Dr. Bob, you know that I make a living by selling old newspapers and selling. And Dr. Bob said this, Bill, if you knew, if you knew, the corruption of the human heart, it takes the power of God that values your signature in my Bible than the signature of those who have CHDs stringing out of their ears. That's the power of God. And that's the power that is available to you and me today in the year 2015. My friends, We are not dependent upon anything the world can do for the success of the gospel. We are totally dependent upon a power that is unequaled in heaven and earth because it is invested in the head of the body who is Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Oh, gracious God. Oh, God, I thank you for speaking to my own heart as I spoke this morning. And, and Lord, as we talk about what the power is, we're so anemic. Uh, let me change it. I am so anemic. 
it, it doesn't take much to trip me. And that's because, Lord, sometimes I am, I'm playing at the wrong grave. Oh, God, help us to understand that our power is not in ourselves as a body. It is not in the world. It is not in our education, wonderful as many of these things are. God raised Jesus from the dead. And in raising him from the dead, he put all things in subjection to him who is the head of the body, the fullness of him that fills us. Fill us, Lord, with the wonder of what that means this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.